Let's, uh, let's pray together for this uh, message, and uh, then let's jump into it. Father, I want to ask that you will open your word to us, and I pray that each of us will open our hearts to you. We will be willing to receive what you have to say today. Pray, Father, I pray that you'll use me, get my, my selfishness and personality out of the way, and help me to remember and think and speak so that these folks can understand. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we started... Um, in the, the uh, Revelation chapter 2 and 3 last week, which is all about the seven churches in Asia Minor, right? Uh, Asia Minor was, this is all in Turkey, what, what the, is today the country of Turkey, but it was the Roman province of Asia. We call it Asia Minor. So uh, ladies, whoever's uh, on the uh, pro presenter, if you'll put that map up there that has the seven churches. So here are the seven churches. You can see that they, they kind of form a circle or somewhat of a circle. And out here uh, is an island called Patmos. So the apostle John had been exiled to this island because he was preaching the gospel and they were not favorable to that. Uh, the Roman Empire had not gotten to the place yet where they were regularly executing Christians, but there was persecution. So here we are out here. That's where John is. In chapter one of Revelation, Jesus appears to John and it says that he is walking among seven gold candlestick stands, okay, or, or lampstands. And each of those lampstands we find represents a church. So it is like Jesus is standing in the middle of that circle, walking among those churches. As we go through Revelation chapter two and three, which covers the seven churches, we will see that Jesus speaks a message to each church through John to the pastor of that church. And it begins with Ephesus, and that's what we looked at last week. Each church has a variety of issues that they are facing, and there are some of them that have challenges that the Lord Jesus, uh, ha a problem that the Lord Jesus has with them, challenges that they need to overcome. So it starts with Ephesus. Today we're going to look at Smyrna, a little bit at Pergamum, and then Thyatira is the last one uh, in chapter 2, and then Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea are in chapter 3 and we just move around in a clockwise circle right there. Go ahead and put that graphic up that I created, uh, that grid regarding the seven churches. So uh, there's actually two pages to this and you can download this. If you go to our website, lifefulchurch.com, I created a revelation tab and you could just click that and you could just look at this, a picture of this or you can download the PDF file and that will give you an overview. So we looked at Ephesus last week. That's the first church. It's a, it was a big church. Uh, it had been the capital of the province of Asia Minor and Jesus had a lot of really good things to say say about them, right? Uh, they're hardworking, persevering, they're intolerant of evil, they oppose false teachers, and they've endured hardship. But you notice I titled them the loveless church because the rebuke that Jesus had for them was, you have lost your first love. So this is a church that is, that is strong in doctrine, and they have good theology. They have right thinking, 
but they're dead right. They have a cold orthodoxy. And Jesus didn't mince any words. He said, you need to come back to your first love. This week, we're going to look at Smyrna, and I'm going to read all of the passage regarding Smyrna and Pergamum, right? Um, I titled these the afflicted church and the steadfast church. They were both being persecuted. This is an example of early persecution in the empire against Christians, all right? Um, So let's go ahead. You can bring that graphic down or you can leave it up, actually. I'm going to read Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, regarding the church at Smyrna. This is what Jesus says to John, and John writes this down, and he relays this message to the pastor of this church who will uh, read it to his church. And to the angel, this is to the messenger of the church in Smyrna, right? The first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. So, Smyrna was a wealthy seaport city. It was 35 miles north of Ephesus, and it competed with Ephesus for uh, greatest importance in the province of Asia Minor. Smyrna was a center for emperor worship, like Pergamum, the next church. So um, early on in the empire, after Augustus uh, Octavian, who became became known as Caesar Augustus, uh, ascended the throne as the first official emperor, uh, they began to start this cult of emperor worship and, and the worship of Rome. And we see that both Smyrna and Pergamum were involved in the BC days, in the, the days before Christ, of uh, putting up temples. Uh, in Smyrna, they erected a temple honoring Tiberius. He wasn't even emperor yet. And a large community of Jews lived in Smyrna. And these Jews had influence with the city's leadership. So you would assume that the Jews there would have more of a problem with emperor worship than they had with Christians. But they were not favorably disposed to Christians. Uh, And uh, uh, now, you need to understand, when I say Jews, this is not an ethnic designation. This isn't an example of anti-Semitism. This is what uh, the Apostle John says over and over in his gospel. This refers to those who were adherents of traditional Judaism as it was being practiced at that time. And there were many aspects to that that Jesus opposed, the so-called tradition of the elders. Um, the Apostle Paul always offered the gospel to the Jews first. He always went to the Jewish synagogue and offered the gospel there. But invariably, what would happen is there would be those who would receive the gospel, would believe that Jesus was Messiah, and then there would be a large number who would, uh, would oppress and oppose the Apostle Paul. And these were the, the people that he had the most trouble with early on were his fellow Jews. How do you respond to that? Do you question God or do you rely on God? Do you wonder where God is and whether God cares? Or do you recognize that Jesus is there and none of this has taken him by surprise? 
As I mentioned on our, uh, our uh, New Year's Eve day message, uh, I just pointed out all of the, the struggle and trial and difficulty that not just our church, but really churches, period, have been going through over the last several years, um, beginning with uh, the, uh, the, the COVID situation. Um, there's been a lot of pressure, okay, um, to understand that Jesus is the first and the last is to realize that he was there at the beginning and he'll be there at the end. Amen? So um, this is a comfort to all who endure affliction. Christ has not been caught off guard and he will bring it to a favorable end. So I like to say this in keeping with um, Romans 8.28. What does Romans 8.28 say? Do you know? All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So what that means is no matter what you're going through, God will work it out for your good and for his glory. Amen? I said no matter what you're going through. He said, well, the Lord doesn't seem to be responding to my prayers, right? Bad things are happening to me. Bad things have happened to me. Maybe you have that mindset that you're kind of trying to go through your life and see what God may be punishing you for. Well, to be honest with you, we do foolish things and we bring discipline down on ourselves and there are consequences to our actions and so forth. But if you have this idea that Jesus is standing there with a whip and, you know, he's cracking the whip at you because of the things that you've done, or if you have this idea that he's folding his arms and turning his back on you, you don't understand the nature of uh, the, the covenant that has been made with you through Christ. You don't understand the nature of atonement, right? The scripture says that we are no longer under God's wrath, Amen. If you are in Christ, you are not under the wrath of God. In other words, God's not mad at you anymore. Amen? Now, that doesn't mean that there are not times when we need to be disciplined. And maybe, you know, you, you kind of get this vision of the, of the Lord having a, a stern face, right? He's not a, uh, you know, a grandpa up there in heaven rocking in a rocking chair and saying, oh, don't worry about that. I know what you're going through. All you humans deal with that. Just go on out there and have fun. No, man, he wants to make you into one of his children. He wants to fit you for the kingdom of heaven. The number one goal that God has for you and I down here on earth is to make us like Jesus so that we're ready to live with him forever. That's the number one goal that he's got. Um, when we go through things, when we go through difficulty, trial, and tribulation, some of it we bring on ourselves, some of it other people bring into our lives. You say, well, I didn't do anything. Here I'm getting attacked by these people and I haven't done anything. Okay, um, you know, so, sometimes it's because you're, you know, you're standing for Christ. There's all sorts of reasons why these things come into your life. And I have a long sermon series about this. But in the end, it's all a test, amen? Everything down here on earth is a test. All the stuff we went through for the last three years is a test. Did you pass? How you doing? Okay, um, the worst that the devil can do. The worst that other people can do down here on earth is to take away our lives. If you have the gift of eternal life, then there's nothing to fear. Christ is there at the end, just as he has been there at the beginning. Then he says, the Lord Jesus says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. So tribulation, or sometimes the term is translated affliction, is the Greek word Thlipsis, say thlipsis. 
right? It's almost like you're spitting, isn't it? All right. And it literally means to be pressed or to be squeezed. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like there's just pressure everywhere? Pressure coming from people, pressure coming from the need for finances, pressure coming from your own expectations for yourself that maybe you're not living up to. Pressure, pressure, pressure. And if we stand up for Jesus, it's just like those two kids out there. See, I told you I'd bring this back down, right? Okay, there's pressure. You're being pushed. Now, what do you do? Do you just let go and get pushed over or do you push back? Now, I'm not saying that we need to push back against other people. I'm saying we need to push back against this pressure. We're being pressured. We're being squeezed. And that's what was happening to this church. These Christians were under great pressure from non-believers. It is likely that the property of Christians in Smyrna was being confiscated or stolen outright. They may have been looted. We see an example of this in uh, Hebrews chapter 10. The writer of the Hebrews says, I know that you guys have had your property taken from you. This, uh, th- this is the case in many other countries where Christians are looked down upon and the law will not come to the aid of those who are being robbed by the, uh, their oppressors, okay? I'll give you some examples of that in just a moment. But that is why he says, I know your poverty. But then he says, but you are rich. Okay? So they are poor in material goods, but they're, they're storing up treasures in heaven because of the things that they're going through on this earth. Which would you rather have? Well, you know, I, I want the best of both worlds, right? But it doesn't really work that way. Okay? In the end, you need to hold on loosely to everything that you have down here. If you have means, then you use that to glorify God. And if you don't, then you glorify God in the midst of your poverty. Jesus says, I know that you're poor. They were probably having, those who were, uh, who had had their goods taken from them were probably having a difficult time uh, attaining or maintaining any sort of work or job because their reputation as Christians was uh, being assailed. But they're rich where it matters because they've stored up treasure in heaven where no man can take it. Check out what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 19 and 20. That's where that idea of storing up treasures in heaven comes from. So just so you know, this isn't just a first century church phenomenon. Christians are enduring persecution at the hand of radical Islam. Nigeria most recently, Hindu fundamentalists in India, and Marxists in China and North Korea. Over 50,000 Christians have been murdered in Nigeria by extremists since 2009. 50,000 martyrs in one country. Three million people have been displaced in India between 2014 and 2021. That means that Hindus have displaced Christians because they don't want them in their part of the country. Now, this happened, I don't know if you remember back in history, but India and Pakistan were all originally one country. Do you remember this? Okay. And what happened was Pakistan became the Islamic part of the country. India became the Hindu part of the country. And those who were in the wrong part of the country were driven out of the country somewhere else. Well, this is still taking place in India. Christians are being driven out of their homes and their ancestral property. 
In China, Christians are detained and imprisoned and churches are demolished if they're not found in complete agreement with the Chinese Communist Party. So all of those who are being pressured and persecuted because of Christian faith and values can receive comfort from what Jesus says to the people of Smyrna. Don't hide your faith just to avoid the stress of contending with opponents of the Bible. Now, if you're like me, you've probably gotten over getting into debates online with people. Are you, are you familiar with this? You know, you get into these debates online and it's, it's not, honestly, I used to think that it would be a fruitful um, venue to present facts, but it ends up not being that way, does it? People just gripe at each other and argue with each other and hate on each other. And it doesn't seem like people are paying much attention to the facts, Okay. Um, but I do believe that when you are in a situation where you're called upon to give an answer for your faith, that you need to push back. Now, I don't mean this in a negative way, but you need to push back. You, you shouldn't be hiding in the corner. You shouldn't dim your light or cover your light. Let your light shine. And if that means people are offended, just don't be the source of, of the offense. Don't let your personality be the source of the offense. But if they're offended by Jesus, let them be offended by Jesus, amen? He's a stumbling block. That's what he came to be, right? If people are going to stumble, they're gonna stumble. Let it not be over you treating them in a bad way, right? Or having cold orthodoxy like the church of Ephesus where you know, you're right, but you're dead right. But Speak the truth in love. Give an answer for your faith. Don't hide in a corner. Don't hide your faith just to avoid the stress of contending with opponents of the Bible. And certainly don't give in to an antichrist culture. Don't give up. Don't shrink back to destruction, as the writer of the Hebrews says. Fight the good fight of faith and hold on to the eternal life to which you've been called. That's what the apostle Paul told his, uh, uh, his uh, Timothy. And then we have this, and I mentioned this uh, on uh, New, Year's, New Year's Eve day, Psalm 30, verse 5. Weeping may remain through the night or last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. Amen? So then he says, he knows the slander by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do you know what the term devil means? Does anybody know what it means? It means slanderer. This is what the devil does. And those who, rather than get into a debate with you, a healthy debate with you, would just slander you for your opinions or your faith, are doing the work of the devil. Slander against Bible-believing Christians is common today. If you do not hold the values of an antichrist culture, labels like hate speech, homophobe, transphobe, and racist are used really without basis. Believers are marginalized, they're canceled, they're even threatened with violence because of their faith in Christ and the values that he teaches. The devil often uses religious people to slander God's chosen ones. Hence, we have this idea of the synagogue of Satan. Jesus identified the religious leaders and influencers in Jerusalem as children of the devil. They didn't follow God, but the father of lies, even to the point of murder. Listen to what Jesus said. I'll just remind you, this is in John 8, 44. He's speaking to the religious people of his day. He said, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. So 
Today, there are professing Christians, indeed whole churches and denominations that deserve the name synagogue of Satan. These groups actively oppose the clear teaching of the Bible, promoting false teaching and demonic values. Those who advocate false doctrine and or uh, theological heresy have to be opposed. You need to know what you believe and why you believe it. I really like the fact that at the beginning of Craig's Bible study um, each Sunday, he has a time of uh, questions. And some of those questions are Bible questions. Some of those questions are theological questions. But we need to work through those questions. You need to be a consistent apologist for the Christian faith. And that means you need to educate yourself. You need to instruct yourself. You need to expose yourself not only to the truth of the gospel, but the reasons behind holding to that truth, okay? Um, So today we have churches uh, that do not hold to the truth of the gospel anymore. There are churches that don't hold to the deity of Christ any longer. There's a denomination and you can become a member of their denomination and you don't have to hold that Jesus Christ is God's son, the one and only son of the one and only God. In fact, they've done surveys recently of people who profess to be Christians and many professing Christians fail to hold to basic doctrines. Jesus Christ, God's son, the savior of the world, was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect sinless life. He died on the cross for your sins. He was buried. He rose on the third day. 40 days later, he ascended to the right hand of God the Father. He is returning someday. Do you believe that? You need to hang on because bit by bit, piece by piece, those basic theological and uh, theological doctrines are being taken away. They're being removed, okay? And those who want to promote a particular political agenda, a particular sexual ideology, the LGBT agenda, want to reinvent Jesus and stamp Jesus on their agenda. When Jesus clearly, he cleared the whole field, right? Jesus said um, that, do you not remember that he who created them from the beginning created them male and female. And a man will leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now you just sweep the entire LGBT agenda off the, the table, okay? He made you from the beginning, male or female. You don't change that. He intends for the male to leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, a woman. And Jesus also said, I didn't say this at the very end of that, what God has joined together, let no man separate. It's God's intention for one man and one woman to be married for life, amen? Now you may say, you know what? That hasn't happened in my life. I've fallen short in that area. Fallen short doesn't mean utter failure. Fallen short means you stand up and you move forward, okay? Fallen short doesn't mean you live in the past. Fallen short doesn't mean you let somebody else uh, run your life or ruin your life. Stand up and move forward and walk in the light of, uh, that Jesus has offered. We don't reinvent the truth. All of the things that we're facing today uh, that, have, that have come around uh, as the result of, of gay marriage and the LGBT agenda and so forth really originate back to the no-fault divorce laws of the earlier part of the 20th century. When we move away from God's plan, we just end up in these situations where we don't know what to think and we don't know what to do, so we're just making it up as we go along. We're just inventing things, right? We think that freedom means we can do whatever we please and whatever we want to do. The reality is you have been designed. Now, why would I 
jump off on this issue because this is what is taking over many churches today. The United Methodist Church is being divided right now over this issue. Presbyterians are being divided right now over this issue. All of the former mainline churches are being divided over this very issue. What I'm telling you is, no matter how much you, you, know, you, you want to be pleasing to your friends, you have to speak the truth in love to those friends. We need to be willing to love people as they are, but love them too much to leave them that way, okay? If you hold to these values, then you're going to endure persecution. You're going to endure pressure. You're going to endure being canceled, if you will, all right? Jesus says this to this church. He says, don't fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation. There's that word flipsis again. You will have pressure. You will be squeezed for 10 days. Well, what the Lord is saying is things are gonna get worse before they get better for this church. Not only did they have their property taken, but soon some of them were also gonna lose their freedom. They're gonna be thrown in jail by their persecutors. Well, this is a test of faith. Would you go to jail for your faith in Christ? You think you would, but would you? Would you go to jail for your confession of Christ? Or would you simply shrink back and say nothing? Okay? Um, again, you would assume that this is just something for, you know, for the first century or for some other country. But there are notable examples of persecution occurring in our nation and in Canada today. Pastors have been jailed for preaching. Typically, it's preaching on the street, okay? Um, churches have been fined for meeting during COVID lockdowns. Uh, there were a number of churches in California, which was very strict about this, who have been fined. One church has been fined in the millions of dollars because they chose to meet during COVID. And it's not a huge church that's worth millions of dollars either. In Canada, a 17-year-old named Josh Alexander was expelled last year from his Catholic high school and has been jailed multiple times. What is his crime? He's a Christian who dares to openly declare and actively promote the truth that there are only two genders. I follow this kid on Twitter. I mean, he's got a strong Christian profession. Uh, he and his brother and some others that are with him go around in Canada and they just, they're not being mean to people. They're simply standing for what, you know, 10 years ago would have been accepted truth. Well, what does the Lord say to people who are in these situations? He says, do not fear. Persecution is not a reason to back down. In fact, suffering for Christ and a world opposed to him is the norm. The apostle Paul affirmed through many tribulations, we enter the kingdom of God or we must enter the kingdom of God. You remember that from Acts chapter 14? That was right after the apostle Paul had been stoned and left for dead. How's that? The apostle Paul went through a lot of trial and trouble, right? A lot of tribulation. So these tests are going to come. And then the apostle Paul writes to his protege, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 3.12, he said, indeed, all who seek to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So people are gonna come up against you if you stand up for Jesus. Now, I don't mean be an annoying religious person, okay? I don't mean start arguments with people and, and you know, pound them over the head with your Bible, but I mean, be gentle and stand for the truth and shine your light and let the chips fall where they may. But 
The reality is, if you seek to live a godly life in Christ, then you're going to be persecuted. The Lord promised the, the Smyrnans um, that they would only have to endure tribulation for 10 days. This is not a literal 10 calendar days, but a way of saying that the affliction would not last very long. And this is an example of the way numbers are used symbolically in the book of Revelation. We err if we, with anachronism, oppose, impose our literal scientific way of understanding numbers upon a type of literature that is inherently symbolic. Let us first apply this to being jailed. Some Christians in Smyrna would be incarcerated briefly, days rather than months or years. It doesn't mean that persecution would vanish altogether after a short time. The 10-day promise relates to the intensity of persecution or pressure, not the persistence of it. As I mentioned earlier, Polycarp was martyred in Smyrna in the mid-2nd century. That's 50 or 60 years later. So persecution was ongoing. In fact, persecution would continue in the Roman Empire until AD 313 with the Edict of Milan under Constantine. Persecution was going to be ongoing for 200 years. Now, we typically haven't been persecuted here, but I'm going to tell you that persecution is going to come. It is rising. Um, I remember looking at this, uh, this passage that we're, we're looking at right now um, about 20, it's been 23 years ago now. Um, many of you are aware that I have an inner ear problem. Um, actually, there's a couple of them. I'm almost entirely deaf in this ear and I have tinnitus, which means it rings. And I'm gonna talk this level. My ear right now is ringing at the same volume as I'm talking to you. That happens all the time. That's, it never stops, right? All day long. Sometimes, even though I get sound in this ear, there's tinnitus in this ear as well, but the ambient noise that is coming in through this ear interferes with it and keeps me from paying attention to it. But last night, I will tell you, I was getting ready to go to sleep and both ears were ringing so loud, it was just ridiculous. I have to just pray through that. Well, why do I bring that up? Because when this first, this isn't something that happened to me over a period of time. It all happened suddenly in one day. In fact, um, doctors call it sudden sensory neural hearing loss. And it happens to several thousand people every year. It happened to me on December, uh, December 2nd of 2002. In the morning, I heard perfectly fine. I had a little bit of tinnitus. I got this tinnitus from listening to a really loud rock band, a teenage rock band in a garage in the winter with the door closed. It was a stupid thing that I did, right? And what happens with tinnitus, or at least this form of it, is really intense sounds like that bend the little hairs, they're called stereocilia, in your inner ear. And when they're, the, the movement of those, those stereocilia is what helps you to, um, to hear, right? Especially uh, the sounds at this pitch that I have to deal with, okay? Well, they were permanently bent, and so they are consistently, continually sending this signal to my brain saying that this squealing noise that I'm hearing is coming from out here, but it's not. Well, I didn't pay too much attention to that until I lost the hearing in this ear. Bringing this all the way back around, this has been my thlipsis for a long time. But I'm using this as a way of showing both how you can apply the messages to these churches to yourself, right? and also as an illustration of what was the, the Smyrnans and indeed Christians were going through in the Roman Empire. When this first happened to me, um, it started, my, my, I, it was almost like my ear started closing. 
That's if I were to visualize it, it would be like it just started closing like this until I couldn't hear anything. And then it affected my balance. So I got home and I laid down. And then it got really bad. If I turn my head one direction, the whole room would spin that direction. If I turn my head the other direction, the room would spin that direction. If I sat up, the room would roll in that direction. I had to crawl to the bathroom sometimes to throw up because it was making me so sick and I couldn't walk because of how horrible it was. I remember reading this passage of scripture. I don't know what led me to it, but it says that they would have to endure this tribulation for 10 days. And so I just cried out to the Lord and I, I you know, called on the Lord, you know, 10 days. Now I thought that that meant that this inner ear problem would go away in 10 days. And that's not what happened. The bad part that I just referred to had gone away within 10 days. Um, by the 10th day, I had regained my balance. Um, everything wasn't spinning and rolling and all of these horrible things, but I still had what I have to deal with today. So this is much like the intensity of tribulation can come down on you, but you can trust that this, this was a, a, a scripture that was in my mind as I was having uh, Levi and Asher push against each other. You can trust that you will not be tested beyond your ability to bear it. Amen? Right? That's what the Apostle Paul said to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, right? He says, no temptation. And the word for temptation there can also mean test, right? No test, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man or human beings. God is faithful. Say God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted or tested beyond what you are able to bear. That's why I wasn't the one pushing Levi because I'm way too big and too strong to represent a test or a temptation for somebody his size and his strength level, okay? When the test comes on you, it's, you're going to be able to handle it. The Lord is going to give you the strength to push back. You've got to choose to push back. Whatever it is, the persecution, the test, the trial, the trouble, you've got to be willing to push back. You really, really do. Now, that doesn't mean that everything will be hunky-dory and everything will go away and you'll never have any trouble anymore, right? As I said, these folks did. And then the Lord promises, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. For some, the 10 days of persecution uh, would end in martyrdom. And that would release them from pain and suffering into the eternal pleasures at Christ's right hand. This crown of life is a metaphor for eternal life. It's not a literal crown. Um, there are two words that are used in the New Testament for crown. One is uh, the word that is often translated diadem. And we will see that in Revelation. A diadem is a ruling crown. Okay. The other word that is translated crown is the word stephanos. And it is a crown like the laurel wreath that would have been placed on the head of someone who won an athletic competition at the games. This is the word that is used here, the crown of life. This is an award. This is a reward, okay? It's the reward for persevering in faith, even to the point of death. James also promises this crown of life to those who persevere under testing. The Christian's reward is not found on earth, friends. It's found on the other side. 
You need not fear death if you possess the gift of eternal life through Christ. In fact, we need to be willing to die for our faith. Now, I didn't, didn't mean for this message to be doom and gloom, but I think you need to be prepared. I'm not here to scare you. I'm here to prepare you. And that's what Revelation is doing. Again, I didn't just decide to start preaching out of Revelation because of the war in Israel or this or that. I, I planned on doing this a year ago. So I think that this is for us at such a time as this. You don't need to fear death if you've got the gift of eternal life, right? In fact, we must be willing to die for our faith. If we're not, then the enemy is gonna be able to hold your earthly life over your head and get you to do bad stuff, right? Uh, he'll be able to get you to deny the Lord Jesus. In Revelation 12, 11, and we'll get there soon enough, Christians overcome Satan, how? By the blood of the lamb, that's Jesus' death on the cross, by the word of their testimony, they hung on to this, this message, this word, this confession that they uh, believe in Jesus Christ as God's son, and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Then he says, the one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is repeated in all seven, uh, to all seven churches. And this is what I think you need to have if you're going to apply this to yourself, to your family, to our church. You need to have an ear. You need to pay attention to what the Lord is saying to you and to us concerning uh, this message. The Holy Spirit, I hope, I pray, is applying this to you now. And then he promises this final promise, the one who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. What's the second death? You know what the first death is, right? It's physical death. So what do you think the second death is? It's eternal death, it's hell. That's the second death. I'm not making that up. That's made very clear at the end of Revelation. In fact, in uh, chapter 20, verse 14, we'll see that the, the second death is the lake of fire or hell where souls are eternally destroyed. Physical de death is the destruction of the earthly body, but that's not final. The end only comes after each soul is raised and judged. And we see that in Revelation 20, 12 through 15. If you overcome, if your faith in Christ continues to the end, then you have no need to fear judgment or hell any more than you should fear death. If you have called on Jesus to be your Lord, if you've received Christ, then you've been born again from above and your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Hell is not your fate. Say, hell is not my fate because I believe in Jesus. If you reject Christ, hell awaits. Listen to uh, one passage from Revelation 20, 15 and another from Matthew 10, 28. If anyone's name was not found written in the Lamb's book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life when you put your faith in Jesus. Is that where your name is? Don't fear death and hell, friend. Fear God and you need fear nothing else. Say, if I fear God, I don't need to fear anything else. Matthew 10, 28. And do not be afraid of those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body and hell. That's almighty God. So, uh, there's a lot of material here that I could read and it's very interesting uh, related to the martyrdom of Polycarp, but we're out of time. So uh, I will encourage you, if you're going through it right now, if you're facing some pressure, if you're being squeezed, put your faith in the one who is the first and the last. Amen. He's there for you. He's promised never to fail you nor forsake you. 